but eternal life. That's the motive beyond all motive for the Christian. Why are we not motivated to live for him here in this world? As he said in, my, in, in the prayer confession, the number one reason why we are not motivated to live for the Lord in this world right now is because we don't, we're not motivated by, by, by the eternal, eternal life. We are bogged down by the everyday concerns of this world. Let us be honest, friends. The reason why you don't do what is known as quiet time is because the worldly things are on your mind. Trust me when I know, when I say I know what it means to be bogged down by worldly priorities. I get 150 emails a day. I answer maybe 30 of them a day. That's on, that's on top of the cases that I have to review. That's on top of, you know, being, being a parent. That is on top of preparing for sermons. I know what it means to have a lot of, I know what it means to have a lot of stuff on your plate. Trust me when I say I know. But I need to, for the Holy Spirit to minister to me. Otherwise, my spirit will die. I'm asking, constantly asking God why he's giving me such a, 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 like a, like a very demanding work outside of church. And I don't know why, but perhaps one of the reasons is for me to be a witness to you. The business cannot be an excuse for your heart not to be set on the things above. You need, I need, to be motivated by the Holy Spirit. One of the things that Pastor Wujin said in one of his sermons last year that, like, that, that I remember is Pastor Wujin says, like, pastors are public figures. And I go, I'm a public figure? I'm a celebrity? But I think what Pastor Wujin meant by the fact that pastors are public figures is this. People look at us, right, and listen to us, right, and have a certain opinion of what we are by the public nature of our role. But let me be honest with you. PJ that is standing before you an hour and a half every Sunday is quite different from the PJ that gets up Monday morning. Trust me when I say, I need everyday motivation to live. I do. I cannot preach, I cannot be a lawyer, I cannot be a father unless my mind is constantly motivated by eternal things. You do too. What's Paul's, Paul's motivation? Like I said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Paul's certain hope that this will happen. Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, if Jesus Christ would not have been raised, then I am not raised, and if I am will not be raised, then what we do here is useless. 
the resurrection is not only the certainty in Paul's mind, but the very motivation that he uses to live an impossible life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, Paul's motivation. But before we do, we've got to talk about perhaps, we got to talk about what is perhaps one of the most obscure verses in the Bible. And that verse is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29. Paul says, otherwise, which means if Christ has not been raised, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? So Paul's, gonna, Paul's talking about the practice of baptizing the dead. What does that mean? Is it biblical? What does it mean? What is this practice of baptizing the dead? The short answer is, no one really knows what it means. But certain religious groups, such, such like the Mormons, take this verse 29 literally. Mormons, one of the practices is, is they have a practice called, um, like, yeah, like, not practice, like, they have what, the practice called baptizing the dead which means they have services, right? They have services of, bab of be uh, it, they have services, they have ceremonies where they baptize the dead. Where someone takes a person, like uh, represents a dead person, right? A living person represents a dead person. And that living person goes through the baptizing, baptism ceremony, right? So that the person who's dead can be baptized. Does it make sense? It's like a person who's not a believer who's dead. You feel bad that your parents died without being baptized. And you feel horrible about the fact that your parents were, died without being baptized. So what their children do is they get baptized on behalf of their parent who passed away. Thinking that if they get baptized on behalf of their parents, the parents will be raised, will be, will be, will be you know, will, will be in heaven. The fact that they go through the baptizing here, their parents will be raised and they'll go from hell and they go to heaven. Mormons practice this. Catholics don't practice this, but Catholics have what you call the mass of the dead. What Catholics believe is that People, if, if people lived kind of a decent life in this world, that these, those people are in purgatory. And if people have mass on their behalf, the person in purgatory will eventually go to heaven. Does it make sense? The person who died, they're in purgatory. Catholics believe if you have mass on their behalf, they will escape purgatory and go to heaven. So some people think the baptism of the dead is going through this baptism process so that the person who's already died, their eternal destiny will be affected. The question is, is that biblical? Can what we do on behalf of someone who's dead in this life affect the person's eternal destiny? We will want this to be yes. But the Bible is clear. The answer is no. 
There is nothing that we can do on behalf of anyone who's already dead here in this world that can affect those people's eternal destinies. It's not, that's not biblical, right? People who believe that if you baptize the dead, that, they'll, that will affect their eternal destiny, their number one error is this. They believe that the ceremony itself, that the baptism ceremony itself has somehow have, has the power to affect someone's eternal destiny. For example, Catholics, right? When you baptize an infant at infant baptism, they really believe that ceremony washes that child's original sin. They believe the ceremony itself somehow has the power to affect that child's eternal destiny. Baptism, as Pastor Regina and I told, like, you know, teach over and over again, the ceremony of baptism in it of itself does not have any power. Baptism is a symbol of the eternal condition, is a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done and how Jesus Christ has changed us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. What is baptism? Baptism is for people who, whom God has called and who poured out his Holy Spirit and he made the person come alive in, in that spirit person's heart and they embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and they come into living faith. It is people whom God has regenerated and, and be able to confess faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a symbol for such a person. What comes first, baptism or faith? Faith comes first before baptism. Without faith, that ceremony of baptism is irrelevant, right? You know, when we're junior high school, like 15, mom says, hey, get, get baptized, and you say, okay, and you get baptized? Just by the fact that you went through that baptism class and kind of just agreed whatever the church people, leaders told you to do, if your baptism is just merely a formality, that has no effect, that has no power, that's nothing. Baptism is done on behalf of people who came into living faith, a regenerate, miraculous change in their hearts. Baptism is done to people like that. Baptism has no power, or, no power in and of itself. The second error of people who, who, who practice baptism of the dead is they believe that somehow, right, you can do something on someone's behalf and that will affect that person's eternal destiny. We believe that you can be saved through proxy, right? That's what these people who practice baptism of the dead believe that somehow, even though that person did not confess faith in Jesus Christ, if I do something for that person, that person will reap the benefits of my obedience. That's not biblical. The saving work of God comes to an individual personally. It does not come 
to some, through some other person doing, being obedient on your behalf. The grace of Jesus Christ is laid on someone personally, not through proxy. And this is very important, especially for parents. We believe that our children somehow are Christians and can be saved through the proxy of our church attendance. I know you may not say it, but many people, many parents, including myself, hope that somehow if I raise my kid in the church, if I bring my kid to the church that I attend, somehow that in and of itself can make my child into a Christian. We hope and believe our children will be saved through proxy. My friends, it does not work that way. Your child, just like my children, need a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. They need to hear the gospel, and God must regenerate, do his regenerating, life-giving work in your children in order for your children to be saved. That's why when you teach your children the Bible, you need to do it with a sense of mission, hoping that God will use your teaching, use the Bible studies that you, do, um, like, that you conduct with your children, God will use that time to, preach, to, to make the gospel real to them so that they will be saved. When I teach my children the Bible, I don't do it primarily to make them more obedient children. My kids are incredibly obedient. They are. When I say do it, they do it. They're incredibly obedient. I'm really grateful I don't teach them the Bible so that they can become better citizens. I teach them the Bible really with a sense that by doing so, they will be saved. Every family worship, when I pray for my children, I pray that God will use that time to save them. Because my children cannot believe just by their proximity to me. Parents, as great as our Awana program is, as great as a church program could, is, and as great as our youth pastor, I don't know him, could be, those things will not save your children. The constant presentation of the gospel will save your children. Your children and mine are in Adam. They're not in Christ. I don't, want, I don't say this to be mean. It's the truth. They need the gospel. The third error of people who practice the dead is this. They not only believe that baptism has a ceremony, of, the, the ceremony itself has power, they not only believe that, they, that people can be saved through proxy, they believe people can be saved after death. that the opportunity of salvation, they believe, can go on after their death. That is not true. The reason why God has given you this life in this world in this time, it is so that people can be saved in this time, in this world. The purpose of this world is so that people can be saved. Because after this world, after that, they cannot be saved. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. 
God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later, he spoke through David, as it was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God is speaking to you today. Tomorrow's not a guarantee. You know tomorrow's not a guarantee. One of Korean, there's a Korean celebrity whose mom recently passed away. And the way she passed away is this. Two o'clock in the afternoon, she says, oh, I have a stomach ache. And the guy said, oh, why don't you go to the hospital, doctor's office. She goes to the doctor's office at three o'clock in the afternoon. By 7 p.m. that evening, she has passed away. Before that day, no physical problem. She just had a stomach ache at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. By 3, she discovered that she has stage 4 cancer. By 7, she's passed away. Tomorrow's not a guarantee. It's only today. You must believe today. You must believe in this time, in this world, because there is an opportunity after death. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Salvation doesn't happen after you die, it happens today. Before we go on, my friends, are you saved? Forget the proximity to your parents, what religious proximity you have with your parents. Forget, ask yourself today, are you saved? Are you a son of God? Do you know what the gospel means? Do you know, have experienced the eternal hope that the gospel gives? Are you saved? If not, he's calling you to living faith in Jesus Christ today. These things does not do not answer the question, what does verse 29 mean? And Bible study leaders, I'm telling you, no one really knows for sure. John MacArthur thinks it means this. It means, he thinks, those who are baptized, in verse 29, are the living people. And these living people, the reason why they became baptized is because they saw the exemplary life of former Christians, right? And because they were so moved by the way these, form, these Christians lived and have now passed away, because they're so motivated by these Christians who have now passed away, they, they came to the saving faith in Jesus Christ, and, the, and now they're getting baptized. Does it make sense? So the, he's, John MacArthur thinks this verse means people are getting baptized because they were so moved by the exemplary Christian life of the people who are now dead. I don't know how he gets this interpretation from this verse, Right? Maybe you can go to gracetoyou.org and try to follow John MacArthur's argument. Maybe it's true. I'm not sure. But verse 29, no one knows. Right? 
Right? During Bible study, don't say, PDA say we don't know, so let's skip it. Don't do that. Right? Try to figure it out. That's the fun of it, right? Now Paul talks about his motivation to suffer for the gospel. Verse 30. Why am I, why am I in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Paul says, for the sake of the gospel, I am in danger every hour and every day. For the sake of the gospel, Paul threw out security. Paul threw out his status in society. Paul threw out his reputation. You know how every Asian mother wants you to be a doctor, engineer, or lawyer because that will give you status and comfort and security in society, right? Like I went to my dentist the other day, and we we're talking about our jobs. He said, "What do you do for a living?" I said, "I'm a lawyer." And I said, "Hey, you're a dentist." Hey, we and I said, "We are our Asian mother's dream come true," right? Paul threw all that away. He had what it took to make his Jewish mother proud of him. And he crumpled it. Oh, oops. And he threw it away. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ was far more valuable than anything. Philippians chapter 2, I consider everything that I lost dung, dung, compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Everything that made his parents proud of him, he considered as trash compared to knowing Jesus Christ his Lord. Not only did he trash it, the life that he chose put him in danger every single day. He's living a life where he doesn't know what danger waits for him that day. What opposition, what slander, what beatings will, will, what beatings will wait for him that day. Every hour, every day, Paul is in danger for the sake of the gospel. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. These are some of the things that Paul went through for the sake of the gospel. He says, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse, 20, verse 24 to 27, he says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times, five times, he says, I received 39 lashes. And as I said before, these lashes, are, he's being whipped. And if you want to experience what being whipped what felt like during you know, during Paul's time, watch the Passion of the Christ. He was whipped 39 times. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Like I said, in Singapore, when you commit a crime like petty theft, they don't put you in jail, they beat you with a rod. And it's very effective. 
this beating, getting beaten with a rod? Because being caned, they say, it's because it's, it hurts so excruciatingly bad. The very idea of being caned in public curtails crime in that country. Paul was caned, beaten with a rod three times. Once I was, once I was stoned, People took him in the middle of the public square and they stoned him with the aim to kill him. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Not, did he throw, not only did he throw everything away that made his parents proud of him, he lived like this. Beaten, scarred, slandered, left out for, for dead every day. Why? Why must, did Paul go through all these things? It's because the world hates the gospel. The reason why Paul had to suffer is to demonstrate Jesus' point. That the world hates the light. Jesus, in John 15, verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus says, if you belong to me, the world will hate you. Paul is a living example of that. Why does the world hate the Christian? Because John says, the world loves darkness more than light. People who are in darkness are people who are ignorant of the things of God. Light is the truth of the knowledge of God. People who are in darkness, they hate the light. And they want to destroy the light. In the comics, in Superman, DC Comics Superman, one of Superman's arch enemies is called Bizarro Superman. Bizarro Superman is everything that Superman is, but the opposite. What Superman is in his you know, morality, goodness, Bizarro Superman is the opposite. Bizarro Superman hates Superman simply because Superman is different from him. The world 
hates the Christian because the Christian is in, in, in direct opposition of what the world stands for. The death of Jesus is a clear indication, the example of this, right? The Jewish leaders wanted, like, they crucified Jesus. They wanted Jesus dead. Why did they hate Jesus so much? It's because what Jesus stood for is the exact opposition of what they stand for. Who is Jesus? He is the author of life. He is, the, he is the one who wrote God's word, God's law, right? The Pharisees, even though they had the Old Testament, they, in, they, they were interpreting the Old Testament in a certain way, in a very narrow way. Jesus, by his living example and teachings, revealed the totality of God's will. Pharisees, they were concerned only about what is their interpretation of what is written, while Jesus stood for life. This narrow interpretation of what they thought was right was in opposition to the complete revealed will of Christ. Because what Jesus stood for was exactly opposite what they stood for, Jesus had to die. Human history is clear. Humanity, in our very essence, we have a desire to destroy people who are different from us. How do we know? Yale's baby school experiment clearly shows baby as young as six months have the desire to not only dislike someone who is different from them, but have a desire to punish them. Go watch 60 Minutes, they'll tell you. Human beings have this innate desire to destroy people that are different from us. This comes from the fact that human beings hate the light. Before Paul was converted, what did Paul do? He persecuted the Christians. Why did Paul persecute Christians? Same reason why the Jewish leaders crucified Christ. According to Paul's interpretation of the Old Testament, Christians were wrong. Christians were blaspheming against God. Christians were dangerous. They had to be put down. So Paul went on and persecuted Christians. Now that Paul is converted, people who once praised him wanted him dead. Because Paul is different from them? What Paul stood for, for Jesus Christ, that is a lie, a blasphemy. Therefore, Paul has to die. That's the reason for the 39 lashes. That's the reason for the flogging. That's the reason for being stoned. Paul is different. Paul is of the light, and the darkness hates the light. What made Paul keep on going? It is certainty of the resurrection that is coming. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is about. Paul says, Jesus Christ has been raised. 
he's the first fruit of, 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 of resurrection. Which means just as Christ has been raised from the dead, I and all my brothers will too be raised from the dead one day. And Christ will destroy all of his enemies. And Christ will present this perfect world back to God again. Paul is certain of that eternal destiny. That is why he could go on. My friends, this is really relevant to us. Because we are now living in the world where the, where the predominant philosophy, worldview of the world, is con- it's against Christianity. You know it's true. I had coffee with a brother a couple of, a couple of weeks ago. And in the outside, cof- in the outside place where we, where we sat, we were talking about the scientific biological differences between men and women. But when we were discussing it, we were whispering. Because we know, right, that is considered hate speech now. For those of you working in corporate America, you know that some of the things that we talk about in this church, if you mention at work, could get you fired. The worldview that is propagated by the world is made up of elite intellectuals, elite rich people, elite people of government, And their worldview is not supported by science or fact or anything. They just have a certain worldview, predominantly influenced by Marx. And their worldview hates Christianity. Their worldview, right, has a sense of right and wrong. They do, right? Just like Superman's opposite is bizarro Superman, these people who hate Christians, they have a bizarro sense of right and wrong. That is why if you disagree with them, you will be, you will be canceled, you will be banished, you won't be forgiven, right? If we peddle any narrative that is contrary to their worldview, they will cancel us. Because to them, their worldview is not just a matter of Facts, their worldview is a matter of right and wrong. If you disagree with, if you agree with them, you're righteous. If you agree with them that all white people are racist, then you're, you're, then you're accepted. But if you disagree with them, you are not only wrong, you are evil racist. The bizarro worldview, the bizarro sense of right and wrong is the exact opposite of who God is and God's revealed will. And the more we promote it, the more they will hate us. Let's be real here. We are not living in our parents' generation Christianity. It's It's going to start costing us something. It will. The days where you can freely share your faith publicly, openly, those days are, going, those days are gone. 
there will be repercussions of what you claim to believe. I'm so sorry to say, it is no longer safe to be a Christian. If you decide to live a life that is consistent with the revealed Word of God, and advocate positions that isn't consistent with the revealed will of God, you will be the world's enemy. How the world will view you, the world will view you exactly the same. How, how, how they, will, they view, you know, those people who attacked, you know, the con- like Senate a couple of weeks ago, they will start to tie us to them. Illogical, fundamental, bigoted, unreasonable, judgmental folk. And it's going to cost you something. Every week as I preach, I am constantly aware that maybe this is a sermon that's going to get me fired. You know, like my old paralegals, they knew I was a preacher, so they found me online. And the sermon they found was my sermon, sermon on Sodom and Gomorrah. And they sent that sermon to another former paralegal who is homosexual. It's a miracle that I didn't get fired. Your faith is no longer an easy faith, my friends. The world will consider it hate speech. The world's not going to go after feel-good sermons. The world's not going to go after churches that preach, I don't know, positive thinking. The world's not going to go after churches that are run by programs. They're not, why? Because they're not threatening. Why would the world be threatened by Joe Alstein? But the very things that we talk about here, it's going to cost us something. Can you endure it? It's easy to say we follow Christ if it doesn't cost us anything. That's what cheap grace is, right? Cheap grace is the call to follow Christ without giving up anything. I think a lot of us are used to cheap grace. But the grace of Jesus Christ, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, is a costly grace. Because it calls a man to die. It caused the person to self-deny, carry their cross, and follow Jesus. Can you follow Jesus? Can I follow Jesus? If I'm honest with myself, I'm not sure. I don't want to be like Peter who says, Lord, I will never deny you, and he denied Jesus three times, right? I have a more sense of understanding of who I am to make that public confession. But the only way that I could deny myself and follow Christ, despite what it cost me, the only way that I'll be able to do it, the only way you'll be able to do it, is if the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the future glory that is waiting for you is a certainty to you and me. If we know we have the treasure in the future, then that is ours. 
that what we lose here will not matter as much, right? Paul could deny everything because the treasure of Christ was more real to him than anything that he could get here. But if everything that you can get here, if that's the most important thing to you, if your job, your family, your, your car, your house, your mortgage, if your retirement is more important than, is more real and important to you than the future glory that is waiting for you, how in the world can you deny these things that are so important to you? If your well-being is the very reason that you live, Let's be real. How can you sacrifice this for the sake of religion? What you need to do, what I need to do, is ask God to make the resurrection more real than anything in our lives so that we could be bold for him Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who discovered a treasure in the field. And after he discovered that treasure in the field, he sold everything that he has to buy the field with that treasure. The field with the treasure is the kingdom of God. Do you know this treasure? If you don't, you're not going to buy that field. Ask God to minister to you so that the resurrection will be a reality to you. Otherwise, you will not be able to last the trials. Look, guys, I don't want to sound mean and I don't want to sound judgmental, but when I say this, I will come off as mean and judgmental. But the test of what you truly value, COVID is a clear test of what you value. COVID, I think God God is using to prune people. People will abandon their faith because they can't gather regularly. People will abandon each other because they can't gather regularly. What is COVID revealing about your faith and the certainty of the resurrection? My time is up. I can preach for another 20 minutes, but I will spare you that. You have to wait two weeks from now to talk about the other verses because Pastor Richard is preaching next week. But this week, examine number one, are you saved? And number two, is this world middle, middle earth? Is this middle earth just a truly a middle existence? Just just a place that you pass through for eternal glory? Or is this Middle Earth your eternal, that you think, is this Middle Earth your home? What is it? Let us pray. Father, the persecution that is going on in the world and the way that the, major- that the world view is being shaped. These things tell us what you said about the world hating us is true. The world is no longer a predominantly a Christian place. 
It is an anti-Christian place. The world will view your word and your revealed word as bigoted hate speech. And followers of you, your followers, Lord, will be viewed as hate mongers, intolerant hate mongers. And they will want to destroy us. Father, the only way that we could endure this trial is if we are certain about the coming kingdom of God. If we are certain about our resurrection. If we are certain that our eternal treasure lies not here but above. We will be, but we can be bowed here. Father, COVID has revealed our weakness. COVID has revealed, Lord, what our treasures are. And for some of us, Lord, our treasures are plainly things of this life. We gladly sacrifice time with our brothers and sisters. We gladly sacrifice time that we spent with you so that we can pursue more things of this life. Entertainment, work, success drives us more than than your eternal kingdom. That clearly shows where our loyalties lie. Father, we know that we cannot change our loyalties on our own. You are not calling us to discipline ourselves so that we can be more courageous. Courage doesn't work that way. Courage comes from conviction, conviction of what is to come. We pray that you will grant all of us that conviction. If this COVID has revealed that we are not saved, I pray that you will save those who are lost. If COVID has revealed, Lord, what are, where our priorities are, we pray that you will change our priorities. Continually minister to us so that we will, we will put everything in this life in their proper perspective. Let us not work for things that will rust, that will fade, but let us pursue after the only thing that matters, which is a treasure in heaven. May that desire be certain and true in us. Father, for those of us who are suffering, encourage us by giving us an eternal perspective. Though it is dark and gloomy and scary of what we're going through right now, may the eternal light that will come, may that give us the encouragement and, 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 and the strength to live another day. For those of us who, are, who have ailing parents, we pray for healing. We pray for healing of all those parents who are sick. But we also pray, more importantly, that the parents, our parents who are ill, Father, know Christ. And know, Lord, that their healing is not just confined to this world, but eternal healing will come in your name. May that hope of eternity be granted in all our parents who are sick. We pray that you will, you, will, you will just minister to us continually. All these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.